Good morning. You, okay. <laughs> I thought you could do better than that, but I won't, I won't push it. Like, it's a new year, so we'll start. Who's made a resolution? All right, who's got that going? Anybody? Crowd participation. Not one person? Okay. All right, well, I did. I used to be really cynical. I didn't do any of those things because I thought, well, I'm not going to keep them anyway. But I think there's some good ideas in there with a lot of prayer. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. I, I didn't start uh, a gym or, or start a new diet or anything. But I do have some resolutions and some goals. Uh, they aren't bad. Uh, I talk through them and we set goals for our kids uh, individually as well. So I hope you got maybe some of those. Review last year, 2017. What did it look like? Like some, some like, I'm glad, I'm glad it's gone. <laughs> I'm glad that's gone, but let's look ahead. And so what I want us to do this morning, and we don't typically, uh, we typically go through books of the Bible, um, and that's what we typically do on Sunday morning, but for the next three weeks, like, like Joel said, we're going to look at vision to remind us who we are, who God has called us to be, and what God has called us to do, because if we don't know where we're going, we're not going to get there. Uh, all the time we have to be reminded, hey, we're going this way. This is the direction that we're going. And so we're going to do that for the next three weeks. So this week will be the church established. Next week will be the church advancing. And then the following week will be, will be the, uh, and, and kind of see, that's when we're going to have our five-year anniversary. Can you believe we've, five years? Can you, believe, can you believe that? I don't know. I can't believe that. But uh, five years. And then we're going to talk about that. We're going to have all the elders are going to be up here. We're going to just kind of have a, a discussion. So it's going to be a little bit different than what you're used to. And then the week after that, uh, we're going to look at the future of 2018, what God's calling us to and what that might look like um, uh, for Summit here. So we're going to do those three weeks, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time in, in Revelation, kind of looking at what the churches were doing there and where we find ourselves in them, because we can get caught up in just doing things. We're just doing it because we do it, and that's just what we've always done. And so we need to be reminded of who we are and what God has called us to. And that's what we're doing. So that we can look into the new year expecting God to move. Because it's not about just showing up to a gathering, right? You know that. It's not about singing some songs and hearing some preaching and giving some money and attending a smaller gathering during the week. We must see God move. We need to have life breathed into us where it's not just about the mechanical stuff that we walk through so that we can feel good about ourselves. We want to see Jesus move. We want to see his name lifted high. We want to see Limestone County changed because of who God is. And so we've got to do that together. And so we have to look. Where are we going? Where is the vision? Where, where are we called? Because it's our purpose. It's how we give God glory. And we desire to see him move. Don't, don't you? Yeah, okay, good, good. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Yes, we do. That's why we're here. And so I ask if somebody to walk up to you and to say, what's, what's the vision of Summit? Or what's, the, what's God's vision at Summit? Can you answer that? And we should be able to. It's not, it's not difficult. Right? And so I wanted, that's why those two verses that were up there. The first one was Matthew 6, and it's part of the Lord's Prayer. And that's, God's vision is pretty simple, that here would look like heaven, that there would be pockets of the new kingdom here where we are now because the gospel is advancing, it's going forward, it's starting to look like God wants it to look. And so your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Vision, that's what a vision is. That's where we're going. That's where we're headed, right? That's God's vision. Therefore, it's our vision. 
This is what things are supposed to look like. And so we live in such a way that we, we walk and we talk and we follow Jesus so that we would be more like Jesus so that we can tell others, we can display and declare the gospel to others around us so that everywhere we go, we'll be extending the kingdom. That's vision. What's our mission at Summit? Matthew 28. This is our mission, right? It's very simple. It's the great commission. When Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What did he follow that with? Right? Therefore, go make disciples. We talk about go make disciples that make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And I'm with you always. That's God's mission. It's what we're called to. And what do we do to get there? That's what's written on the front doors as we come through into the, in the foyer in the lobby. Know, connect, and live. Know the gospel. Connect with one another in the gospel and live it out as we share it in all of life. Not this little piece and this little sliver. This is where I work and this is where I sleep and this is where I, I play and this is where I hang out with my kids and here's where I share the gospel. But the gospel is at the center. It's at the heart. Everything flows out of that in the intentionality of how do I inject the gospel in every part of my life? How does that happen? So that is our mission is to take the gospel forward. It's God's mission and we're joining Jesus on his mission. And so I want to make sure that we really know that today. So Here are the three points for today. Number one, God has a mission. That's an easy one. Number two, the mission has a church. And number three, the church must be healthy. That's us. So God has a mission, the mission has a church, and the church must be healthy. You can see how they kind of tether along to one another, right? And so number one, God has a mission. So from the very beginning, we, we spent over a year in the book of Genesis in the last year and about one and a half months or so. And so we know that the very first command to Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? This is the mission of God. It was the first mission is is to fill the earth with his glory, with his image. And Adam and Eve were to spread the glory of God simply through having a big family, have a lot of kids and fill the earth. That's the way it kind of started out. It's biological evangelism, right? That is what was going on. And so the earth would be filled with God's glory or with his image. That was the original great commission. But when Adam and Eve sinned, the image was broken. And so we see in Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham. He chooses Abraham to, quote unquote, bless all the families of the earth. And so this is how he's going to do this. He's going to start with a family and there's going to be an heir and a child of promise. And we see Isaac and we see this child of promise become a people of promise. And so in Deuteronomy 7, we, we see it kind of escalate from being a family and a child to a people and, a na- and becoming a nation. And so Deuteronomy 7 verse 6 says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. This is God talking to Israel. And out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And it was, he didn't, why did he choose Israel? Because they were awesome, because they had it together, because they actually had a lot of talent and a lot of gifts and they were really good at guitar and leading worship. No. Here's what he says. For you, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest. But it's because the Lord loves you and he's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that your Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand. It's because you are weak so that I, he can display his glory through weakness. He loves that. 
Exodus 19.6 says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He's talking to Israel. They are to be a kingdom of priests. They are to be God's people to show the world what a relationship with God looks like. That's what priests do. Here's, here's what it looks like to live in, in relationship with God. And so God's ultimate mission is worship. It is worship. And it's been that from the very beginning. He's worthy of worship from every created thing on earth, both seen and unseen. John Piper says it this way. He says, in Let the Nations Be Glad, he says, Mission exists because worship does not. Keeps it very simple, right? Mission exists because worship does not. God is worthy to be worshipped. He's not worshipped by everybody. Therefore, mission is still in effect. And it will be until Jesus comes back. And so when Jesus came, what he did was he enabled us to worship God. That's the best way to love one another is to free them up to know God, to to experience and worship God. He enabled all peoples to worship God. And he solved a huge theological problem in that we were separated from God. We were enemies. We were children of wrath, right? And because of sin. But he, he also, when he, he, he brought us, he reconciled us to God, but at the same time, he was also completing and pushing, progressing the mission of God in Genesis for all the earth to be filled with the glory of God. And he's still fulfilling that mission from Genesis 1. That's the point. And that's what the Great Commission is about when he says it in Matthew. Go, make disciples of all nations. Or spread the image of God through the entire earth, through new creation, new creation, discipleship, little images of Jesus, so that God's worship will be full. The book of Acts is the response to the Great Commission. Go make disciples? Okay, book of Acts. Here's what that looked like. That's how Acts 29 got its name. It's still happening. So you have to understand that, that the, the book of Acts, it, we are still part of what was going on there. The Great Commission is still happening and will continue until Jesus comes. And so the mission is to share the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, to teach them to observe what Jesus commanded. That's how God's glory is spreading in all the earth. That's number one. That's God's mission. Therefore, that's our mission. Now, let's be clear. Point two, God's mission has a church. So God's got a mission. And so we tend to think generally that the church has a mission, right? Here's our mission. We're going to go to Nepal. We're going to go to India. We're going to share the gospel. We're going to hand out tracts. We're going to do oral learning and presentation of the gospel. We're going to teach them how to do Bible studies in their home. We're going to do all these things. We're going to train pastors that are going to continue to carry on the work when we finish, when we leave. And we do do that. We do local missions where we're helping those that are more marginalized and, and are, are trying to escape poverty. And we're, we're doing ESL classes and we're trying to take the gospel and inject that in. Yeah, absolutely. And the problem is when we think the church has a mission, it, it kind of sounds like mission is one part of what the church does. Right? That, that not everyone's part of that and that's not for everybody. And the church does a lot of other things, but... This part over here is the mission. Like we think, well, the gospel is here, but then I've got work and sleep and being a dad and being you know, a co-worker and all that in these little parts of my life. But in the same way that gospel is the center of our lives, mission is why the church exists. And so it's not so much the church has a mission as much as it is the mission 
has a church. We've got to think like that. That's why we are here, right? It's, and there, if you don't think like that, it's easier to relegate mission to the background, which in turn makes it easier to just kind of sit back and have a consumer mentality and wonder what the church can do for you. What can the church do for me? What, what can it offer me? And that's not the, the position. That's not what the Bible presents to us. The mission is God's first and for, foremost. And so he chose the church to fulfill it. And when we f- fail to participate in the mission, we fail to be the church. That's a big statement, right? And God could have done it all alone. He could have done it, just done it on his own. We talk about that, but he didn't. He, he didn't want to. <laughs> he didn't want to do it alone. He enjoys that. He gets great glory out of our weakness. Ephesians 3.10, it says this. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The church, weakness, displaying strength, foolishness, displaying the wisdom of God. It's just like the cross. What the world expected to display utter shame has been flipped on its head to display utter glory. We're part of that. We get to be part of that, right? And, and that's, that's the thing. This is big picture. This is what you and I are part of. We are expressing the manifold glory or wisdom of God. Manifold just means the varied and the, man, the, the different aspects, right? The many and varied aspects of God's wisdom. Spreading his glory through sharing his gospel. Jesus said it himself in Matthew 16, which I take great comfort from. Verse 15, he said to them, and he's talking to Jesus, is talking to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is the one doing the building of the church. I have to be reminded of that. Right? And so we take great comfort from that. It's not the good sermons that you hear or that you choose the right, right songs or, or you, is your small group leader the best one? It, it's, it's about what Jesus is doing and we trust in Him. And when the gates will not prevail, when I was a kid, I used to think, oh, I'm behind the gates and I hope, I hope that, that the Lord, what He said is true so that this doesn't, this evil and this sin that hell doesn't crush me. That's not the picture that Jesus is painting. I had that all wrong because I was taking what I thought about the world and I was letting it interpret the Bible for me. What Jesus is saying is that we are moving forward. The church is progressing. Jesus is building it and the gates of hell are not going to prevail. They're going to get crushed and stomped. Remember Christmas is an act of war. That's what we talked about for four weeks. And so you remember that, that, that Jesus is building and that is the good news that it's not based on your performance and my performance, that he uses us, he takes joy in, in working through us to display his glory, but it's not based on us. It's really good news. All, and, and, and it doesn't cause us to sit back and just let Jesus do that and we'll just kind of watch. All of the disciples that, that were, you know, like 10 of the, the original 12 died giving their lives for the advancement of the kingdom. So it wasn't based on them, but they gladly gave it up. Evidently there was something for them to, to sink their teeth into that was worthy of that. We don't sit back. He's building a people that reflect 
God's glory. And the church exists and always has existed to join Jesus in God's mission. Look at history. I'm just going to run through this very quickly. This is a quick study. But in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas, that's when they, were, they had come together. In Acts 13, they had left out of the, the church in Antioch and they had gone to, to plant to kind of reach the Gentiles. And in 15, at the, after the council, they separate and they go in different directions. And the church just starts to explode. In, in, in A.D. 42, Mark goes to Egypt. In A.D. 49... Paul heads to Turkey. In 51, he goes to Greece. We kind of followed him through when we did 1 Corinthians, right? In 52, the Apostle Thomas heads to India. In 54 AD, Paul heads on his third missionary journey. 174 AD, the first Christians are reported in Austria. In 280 AD, the first rural churches emerge in northern Italy. Rodney Stark, who's a religion sociologist, says about 350, 31.7 million, like 53% of the Roman Empire confessed Christ as Lord, which is a big deal because it's an urban religion at this point. In 432, Patrick hit St. Patrick and the snakes. Remember, he, he heads to Ireland. In 596, Gregory the Great sends Augustine, or Augustine, not St. Augustine, but Augustine, a different Augustine, goes to England over to Canterbury. Baptized 10,000 people that year. In 635, the first Christian missionaries arrive in China. See how we're going around the earth? In 740 AD, Irish monks reach Iceland. In 750, St. Boniface went to Germany, chops down their holy tree, which they were worshiping, and builds a church out of it, according to history. How'd you like to be that guy? Hey, what you worshiping? Let me just tear that down and build a church. In 900... A.D., missionaries reached Norway. By 1200, the Bible is available in 22 different languages. There's no, even, no printing press yet. This is all hand-copied. By 1498, the first Christians were reported in Kenya. 1554, there are 1,500 converts to Christianity in Thailand. 1629, the Puritans, which is a larger group than the Pilgrims, established the Massachusetts Bay Colony with 400 settlers. And, and they bring in 1630, 10 years, or one year later, they bring as many as 20,000 Puritans to worship in mid-17th century, the first great awakening burst to life. Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, instrumental in bringing about this Protestant revival and where we find the roots of American evangelicalism. 1809, here's where it starts, hopefully, getting a little closer to home. Amid the early momentum of what would be known as the, the second great awakening, a handful of settlers founded the West Fork of Flint River Baptist Church, just north of present-day Huntsville. Shortly after forming a new congregation, the name was shortened to Enon Baptist Church. The young church grew, planted more churches throughout North Alabama. And when it, it eventually it moved into the city and changed its name, its name to the First Baptist Church of Huntsville in 1893. While this was happening, the church planning instinct was still at work. Anticipating the arrival of new residents at the Dallas factory, uh, Manufacturing Company, uh, First Baptist planted another church. It's called the Dallas Avenue Mission. This became Jackson Way Baptist Church. In 2003, a handful of men and women came out of Jackson Way Baptist Church to begin a new work in the Huntsville-Madison area. In August that year, four families met in a living room for what would be the first official gathering of Summit Crossing Community Church. In 2013, God had called another group out of that plant to, to plant in Limestone County. And they simply followed the waterfall of blessing where the Spirit was leading. People sold their homes, gave up comfort and long-time friendships to follow after Jesus. Just like Christians did hundreds of years 
ago when it was normal. Following him is more rewarding than anything this earth has to offer. So I wrote that. I know I couldn't remember it. And I tell you, why are you telling me that, Jamie? I want you to see the scope and the scope of what's still happening and that you and I are part of. That the book of Acts is still happening, that the kingdom is expanding, not just geographically, but among hearts and individuals and families and depth in the south that's being reclaimed for Jesus from religion. We believe the Holy Spirit is waking up hearts in the south. That's how we pray every Sunday morning. We long to see a revival, not a service, not a week of revival, but hearts that are awake and alive, that, that long for Jesus, that aches to know him, to see him made known. Like I've never seen before. That's what we're longing for and we desire to see. And I can't make my heart want that. And so we have to pray, God, change our hearts. We have no hope but you. We have, oh, great, that's a great vision. That's a great strategy. I love your strict, your slick strategies. I don't care. I need to see you. This, this is how change actually happens. You, when you need, we need plans and we need systems and we need structures. We need all of that to support the move of God, not to create it. And so what we say is simply, we just want to, when we pray, I want to see you move. I want to see power and the movement of the Spirit of God like they did in the book of Acts, not to have magic tricks or just go, oh, I was cool. I want to see Jesus. And I know that you do too. And so we got to talk about it. We got to pray about it. We got to think about it. We got to pray that give us dreams like that and to have you inundated and to permeate every part of my life and my heart and our family and that everything that we do and say that you are at the center and that, that we, he, he just, he started with 12 guys and all of them didn't finish, right? When one just messed up and he just kept him in there and, and through the Holy Spirit and he continues to do that until he returns on a global level. How can we not want to be a part of that? He's building his church, and like the disciples, we get a front seat row to look and to observe and to be part of that while a pocket of the kingdom is being expanded and formed right here in Athens. I want that, and I know y'all do. So God has a mission, and the mission has a church. That's why the church exists. It's for the mission, for worship, for God to get glory. We've talked about it. We did the five solos. You remember the last one? For everything is for God's glory. And so if God has a mission, the mission has a church, the church must be healthy to go on it, to be a part of it, to live it, to realize our ultimate purpose. And so Acts 6 prioritizes for us health. The apostles, this was when the, the church was just getting formed. It was starting to grow, and there were the Hellenists. There were, there were Gentile Christians, you know, uh, Hellenistic Jews that were coming in and being converted, and there was so much work that had to be done. And so uh, the apostles were kind of letting some things slip, and so that's where we get this descriptive uh, you know, passage about where deacons come from, servants that simply are, are, are waiting tables. They're the hands of Christ to those who are in need for widows and orphans. And so out of that formation, the reason the apostles gave for needing deacons was the fact that they needed to give attention to what was important. 
And what they said was important was prayer and ministry of the word. They said that it's too important to suffer for the, it's too important for the important to suffer at the hands of the urgent. Does that make sense? Because this is not that serving people is not important. It is. But you can't leave alone what's important to take care of the urgent all the time. You know what this feels like. It's how to balance life. You always have urgent. You always have important. And so what they did was they said, no, prayer and ministry of the word is too important. These are paramount to health. And while we may be taking care of the, the urgent needs in front of us, if we keep doing just that, we will fall apart. And I read a quote, I think it was Matt Chandler this week. He said, half-hearted obedience in one generation leads to rebellion in the next. I thought, we see that in the Old Testament, don't we? It's just always one generation away. Half-hearted obedience in, in one generation leads to rebellion in the next. I said, I don't want to be part of that. And so how do we as a church focus on prayer and ministry of the word? For prayer, I was looking at this week, and if you're reading through our CBR with us, and I'll explain what that is in a minute, that we were, we were reading that Jesus, every time he got busy and crowds came around him, the busier he got, the more he went away to a desolate place to pray. I'm like, well, I don't have time to pray. Well, Jesus like, the busier he got, the more time he found to pray because he recognized the important over the urgent. And so we, we must be a people of prayer, seeking after the Lord together, by ourselves and then, and then together, just like they did in the book of Acts. And so what we're going to do in response to that need as, as a group of elders, we're going to start having a, a time. We're going to start every other month and just start slow and have an elder-led prayer time, which we'll meet on Sunday night at some point. We'll let you know. We're just going to come up here and we're going to go, hey, here's what we're praying for tonight. Doop, doop, doop. We're just going to pray. That's it. You're invited to come. If two people come, fine. That's awesome. We've got to respond and be a praying people. Pray for one another. Pray for this area. Pray for God to move, for hearts to wake up, for people to value what's truly valuable and not be fooled into, into thinking there are things of value that are outside of God, outside of eternal value. And so we want to be a praying people this year. Number two is knowing the word, the importance of the word, the ministry of the word, knowing the Bible. We're in the Bible belt. And I know many, many people that don't know the word very well, but they're in a culture that expects them to know the word very well. And so they can't be honest about not knowing the word very well because it's shaming and embarrassing. So how do we cross that barrier to be honest and to be vulnerable and to say, you know what, I should know the Bible well. I don't. So we're, we're looking at classes. We're looking at different things to do. But right now, I just want to say, don't be discouraged. I want, I, want, I want us to have accountability with this. And if reading the Bible through, I mean, it's January. Everybody picked up Gen, Gen, Genesis 1-1 on January 1, right, that, that wanted to do that. That's what you do. And so I encourage you, reading the Bible through in a year seems too difficult Read something in there. Uh, one of the best quotes in this was paragraphs change people, not books. 
Read the word. Get it into your heart. I uh, was a bug. <laughs> I recently joined a gym. Um, again, so <laughs> so this was this was not like yesterday or something. Yeah, I didn't. Um, and of course, now I would like on purpose not join a gym just because uh, you don't want to do that. Because I can hear guys in there going, how many people you think will be here in six weeks? You know, I heard people having that conversation. So I, I didn't join a gym yesterday. I was feeling bad all summer. And for those of you who know me, I, you know, I've had some blood pressure issues and stuff. I had to go to the ER. So I'm like, ah, I think health's kind of important now. i got four kids I got, and a wife. I have to kind of be around, so it's important. And so I was feeling bad over the summer, and I thought, you know what? My sleeping patterns are off. I'm not eating well, and I am doing zero physically. No wonder I'm sluggish in my thought. I'm just kind of falling asleep during the day and I just don't feel good. And so I, I got in the gym maybe in mid, late September, something like that. Um, and I, I have a history of physical, th- I'm a physical therapist, so I, I know how the, the, the stuff works or whatever, right? And so I joined this gym and, and, and I, I just, it took me forever to kind of get joined because I knew I needed to, but I'm like, when am I going to do that? I have four children I have, like, this job, I try to do another one kind of on the side just to stay in the secular world so I'm out of the Christian bubble. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm just do a million things at one time. That's kind of how I roll. I'm a multitasker, right? And so I'm like, I don't have any bandwidth for one more thing. When would I go? I mean, my kids wake up at, like, 5.50 in the morning, so I've got to be done and back. I'm like, I'm just not that dedicated, and I don't really move in the morning very well. I mean, you know, the best thing you can do for me at 6 o'clock in the morning is not talk to me. You know, I'm just, I'm not pleasant in the morning because I'm like, I don't think this is godly, right? And so I, I finally, I determined, all right, I've got to make this as much a priority as meeting with people and, 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 you know, what I'm doing. And so I did. I found some way, and I still blow it every once in a while. But for the most part, I'm a lot better than I was. And I started going, and I started slow. And I know for muscles to get stronger, just like faith, they have to be used. They have to be broken down, and they, they're built back up. And so I started very slow. Like, if I cared what other people thought, I'd be embarrassed. Like, I would get, you know, like, seriously, 20-pound dumbbells. And i just, you know, benching them. And I had, like, this, you know, 10-year-old next to me. He's, like, benching 150 pounds. And it's, like, whatever. I'm doing push-ups, like, from my knees because I can't push my whole body weight up. <laughs> that's, that's how bad that had gotten. And I was like, whatever, I'm not here to win a bodybuilding competition. I am here to get stronger than I was so that I can last longer than I will like this, right? Because this, I want to be able to throw a ball to my kid in 10 years, and I'm not going to be able to do that at this rate. And so I thought, all right, so I'm just, this is a big adjustment to my schedule. It's a sacrifice. I had to drop things, and I didn't do it perfectly by, by any means. In fact, a lot of times I didn't get an entire workout. I'd look out and go, well, Hmm. <laughs> I got to go when I haven't really even done anything. Um, and sometimes I'd forget to bring, you know, uh, deodorant or, or, change, or water to drink. Um, I forgot one time to bring my towel and I had to change because I was doing it for lunch and I had to take a shower. And when you, you know, you learn things. I mean, I always learned. Here's what I learned. It takes about 25 towels, paper towels out of the dispenser <laughs> to dry yourself off because I'm like... You know, you're standing there, and I'm like, get a bunch and run behind the curtain and dry off and go back, hope nobody's coming. I mean, you know, and some of the older guys don't care. They just walk around. So I got all kinds of battles going on. But, you know, it's a, it was a sacrifice, and it took planning with my wife even, you know, to recalibrate. Hey, this is important to me. I hope this is important to you, and, and it might push us both a little bit. But we've got to recalibrate our expectations because we've got to get the important over the urgent. 
And after about three weeks, I could tell a little bit of change, right? I actually started, you know, at first my mantra was get through the doors. Just get through the doors and the rest will take care of it. If I could just get through the doors of the gym, I'll be fine. And what I found after three or four weeks is instead of tolerating it, I actually began to enjoy it and I would miss it. And I felt better, not just three weeks later, finally after I pushed through and pushed through and pushed through, I felt better right after I worked out. And it's almost like cutting the yard. I'm like, I did that. <laughs> Look at that. I, I cut the yard. I washed the dishes. I finished something, which is an amazing thing, right? And so I started feeling a little bit better. I started sleeping better. I ran my first race in over, well over 10 years in December. At my last doctor's appointment, my cholesterol for the first time in my life was under 200. It dropped 75 points. I'm not saying this is going to happen to you. I don't, I don't know. It probably, I, I'm not sure it was my report, honestly. But I'm going to check in when we go back because I don't know what else I did that different. Um, it touches every part of my life. I was just trying to get to feel a little bit better. But now I find myself parking far off at stores so I can celebrate my ability to walk. I'm not trying to get the closest parking space anymore. It changes what I think I need to do. But I realized walking into that gym for the first time, I realized what a person who had never been to a gym would feel like, how intimidating it can be. I mean, there's all this complicated equipment. I know how it all works. I was intimidated. I stood in front of that treadmill. They had gotten these new treadmills. I hadn't been on a treadmill in how long. I'm like, I don't know how to make it go. You know, there's all these people just next to me and all this. And I'm like, I look like an idiot. I am an idiot. <laughs> I don't know how to start it. And I'm like, do I need to raise my hand? Do I summon somebody? Do I, how does this whole thing work? I mean, does somebody come show me how to do it? You know, I did, I, and it was really just humbling. I finally figured it out, something, you know. I was on my own. It's a huge learning curve. And then what if you're, I mean, there's all these different kinds of people in there. There are people that know what they're doing, and they're just doing everything, and, you can be intimidated. And I'll tell you, this is a thick book. And if you don't know what you're doing and you don't know your way around it, but there's the expectation you need to know what the gym's like, you should, you know what you're doing, it'll intimidate you. And you won't want to go back to the gym and you won't want to go get next to it because you don't think you can do that. When there's a treasure in here, when there is an absolute gold mine that needs to be mined, to be dug after, to be sought, to be loved, that changes lives. And how can we follow God if we don't know what he says, if we don't know who he is? And we leave ourselves to, well, my Christian friends are doing it, or this is over here. I'm like, I don't care what does God's word say, because that one lasts forever. You may even know that you need to read the word to get in the gym, right? That you may even want to, but you don't know how. Or you don't even see that it's that important. You feel like you're doing pretty good. I assure you, you're not. And so we have an app, a Summit Daily app. It's a good starting place. It's not an ending place by any means. This is like, let me show you how the treadmill works. All right, just get on the treadmill. I'll dial it in. All you got to do is stand on there and respond to the ground moving. 
All right? That's easy. You just do that. Just don't fall. Just stay upright and you'll be good. That, that's what the Summit Daily app is for. If you follow it, and we've been doing it for a solid year now, you go through the New Testament once, you go through the Old Testament every three years, right? So you and the Psalms, the whole thing. It's real simple. I mean, yeah, put it, put it in there if you're, if you're not doing that, all right? It'll even, if you push the Bible because you get a text, if you just push what comes to you, it will open up an app and read it to you. Just get in your car, just push it, and it just starts reading the Bible to you. We have no excuse in today's technology to not have the word poured into us, really, right? It, it, it provides a prayer directive. It plays a song which we'll sing together the following week. We're called, 2 Peter 3.18, we're called to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge is how we get to know who God is. It's, it's the gateway. And so we have to be plugging this in. This is how God chose to reveal himself. And I have a group of guys that I, I do this with. We'll read, and then we'll just text each other, hey, this is what really hit me today, you know, and go. And sometimes that'll get a conversation started, and sometimes I forget. And you don't go back and try to make up for it. You just go forward, and they'll encourage me. And so don't try to do too much. Like at the gym, you'll get so sore, you'll think, I'm not doing that again. Right? Oh, that was really, that was too much. I'm going to sit down and read the Bible for an hour. I'm like, well, hold on. I, I love that you're excited about that. But a friend of mine who hadn't been in the gym since he played high school football, and it's probably since his late 30s, decided he needed to get back into shape, so he's just going to go do CrossFit. Jumped into CrossFit full force, blew out his shoulder in two weeks. Go slow. <laughs> go slow. He needed to go for a walk, right? He did not need to do Turkish get-ups or whatever, you know, didn't do one arm Russian, you know, he just needed to walk. <laughs> Dude, you're going to hurt something. And I, I, nobody listens to me. I'm like, if you know how many people I'd work, never mind. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do I'm going to get back in shape. I'm like, all right, not like that. You're not, you're going to go to the hospital. And we need to get into deep Bible reading and study for sure. So listen that, yes, that is where you're going to experience depth of relationship with Christ. Well, you have to start somewhere. Don't overexpect out of yourself. And our heart is hard to think. That's why it's, this is why it's so hard to read the Bible. That's why it's so hard to find time to pray is our hearts are just hardened. It's not that there's a problem with the Bible. There's a problem with us. Our eyes are dull. We think this world has more to offer than Jesus does. We think it's better than he is, and it's fool's gold. We have not plumbed the depth of the scriptures and to even learn how to hear from it. And so it takes work. Just like mining for gold in an old mine shaft takes work. You have to dig deep. We have to do that with God's word. It's, he wants to be found in it. That's what a relationship is. And so I want us to be on mission the mission that Jesus calls us on. I want you to sense an urgency and to have a deep, deep desire to declare and display the gospel of Jesus to your family and to your friends. To be so captivated by, by the love of Jesus that you can't help it, that, that you are willing, you want to sacrifice, you want to live for something bigger than yourself. That you enjoy that. Like, like when your team wins. I mean, you got the national football championship next week. You tell me that there are going to be men that, that, that aren't, oh, I'm not emotional, I'm not passionate. Tell me they're going to sit on the couch when a touchdown happens and go, huh. All right. 
Or when there's a bad play and the ref misses a call, they'll, they'll sit there and go, that's really unfortunate for our team. I mean, they're, I mean, they're just going to be jumping up, right? Because it's gripped their hearts. And I'm not going to say, well, we all need to be standing up, raising our hands, and doing that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is something in here has got to change and to beat and to ache for and to long. If Christ is in us, if the Holy Spirit is in us, then we should long for the things that God longs for. Right? That should happen. And when it doesn't, okay, fine. Recognize where we are and pray. Pray that God will turn us, us individually and us as a church and us as a city so that we can love our city well and display who Jesus is. And so that when we're like, yes, our team, that that we will feel that same thing when our team wins to go, yes, look at this, whatever. Or look, I had a grandson or, oh, we just had a baby. Look, 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 that we would be affected in the way that we should be. And so that we will be a people that care deeply about the things of God to maximize his worship and his praise from North Alabama, that they would wake up to the gospel, to the majesty and the supremacy of God in all things. Let's pray together. Um, and what that means here is that there are going to be a couple things on the screen. If you're new, just stay where you are. And we're going to pray. The worship team's going to come up. And we're just going to spend maybe just two or three minutes praying. When I, I close us in a prayer there, if you want to keep praying, just keep praying. This is a time for you to openly respond to the word of God and what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. Number one, we're just going to pray for God to crush our low expectations of what he can do and build a heart that wants to know and love Jesus and to worship the sovereign one. Number two, we're going to pray for one thing only God can do this year in your life. What's something that that you can't explain by a nice program or or a good change here that, that only God can do? And we're going to keep praying. You just keep praying that, God, only you can change this heart. Only you can give me a hunger for the word. And you just recognize right now, I don't have a hunger for the word, God. I repent. I have no excuse. I don't have any excuses. Other than my heart is just dull, waking it. And number three, pray for God to move in the hearts of his people and not yet believers around here, that there would be salvation, that there would be new creations made. Let's just spend two or three minutes praying, and then I'll close us in prayer and lead us in the Lord's Supper, okay?